It seems, our God, that the greatest response that you want from us is one of gratitude, to say thank you, that in your heart there's a void if we neglect to give you praise and thanks. So we thank you, our God, for life. We thank you for eternal life in you. We thank you for the abundant life that we enjoy in our life with you as we journey with you, as we connect with each other in the family of the church, as we serve Lord our God. It is all because of who you are and how you interact with us. We thank you. We pray our God now as we give heed to your word that we would have hearts that are open, ears to hear and wills to respond to what it is that you wish to teach us and what you want us to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Interesting to have three generations on the platform. Not only that, we visited a grand niece the other day, and she has children, which makes me a great, great grand uncle. Something like that. The years go by. But isn't it good? Good to be alive and good to know that the best is yet to be. We've had four weeks away. Four Sundays ago, we were in Canberra and we went to a little church at Turugarong, just sort of a suburb of Canberra. And there, the worship was led by a couple of people and the word was given by a woman who was bent over. She had a walking frame and she struggled to get to the front. And then she had to lean on the pulpit in order to keep upright as she delivered the word. And I thought, that's faith. That's faithfulness that she could do that. And afterwards, as we had a cup of tea with her, she was sprightly and energetic and in no way felt inhibited by this physical malady, this restriction that was affecting her body. Her heart, her spirit was strong. And I felt that to be so enriching. The following Sunday, we were in Malakuta, far east Victoria. And there we went along to church again. About a dozen people, maybe up to 15 were present, plus a dog. Very interesting. The couple who were leading the worship were Presbytery ministers and they'd driven right across from Cape Patterson, right over in Gippsland. And they were there leading the worship, but they had a dog. So the dog was right there and walking around and walking around the communion table and coming back and then they'd sort of put it on its leash and put it, look after it in that way. I thought, this is church, <laughs> a dog in church. Wouldn't be the first time we've been in Bali where there'd been dogs in church. Then the, the next Sunday we were at Foster in sort of central Gippsland, just north of Wilson's Promontory and I was able to preach there to Foster and also at Tura, these little communities very small little congregations. In fact, some of our community groups are larger than the congregation that gathered. But they're faithful, one or two in their 90s, but there to worship and to be part of this movement of God that we are part of as well. And then last Sunday, we were at Port Arlington, just east of Geelong on the Bellarine Peninsula, because we were just spectators at the National Celtic Festival that's held annually there. A lot of Irish dancing, Scottish dancing and music. And we went along to church on the Sunday morning. 
and it was a Celtic service. Totally different. A focus upon Celtic spirituality. Had to sing Amazing Grace, of course, and some other Celtic music. And I thought, God gives us the richness of life. There's worship that we enjoy here. We appreciate it. But it's good to visit other places as well and see how they operate, what their community is like, what their focus is, how they struggle. For example, when we were over at Foster, there's no music. They have to have canned music all the time. So I said, is there a guitar around? And the pastor we were staying with said, yeah, I've got a guitar. So we dug it off, dusted it, dug it out, dusted it off and tuned it up and so I had to play guitar as well. I haven't done that for a while in worship. So it was good to do that also. Isn't God good? And it all comes under the gospel, the good news of God's love for us in Christ. In fact, this morning I thought it would be good to just remind ourselves of what the essence of the gospel is. What are the key principles that hold us within community in the church? What is the gospel? If someone was to ask you, what do you really believe? What is this gospel that you talk about? How would you answer? Well, I think the four spiritual laws, as they are called, help us immensely. Sometimes they're used in one-on-one evangelism. That can be helpful. Sometimes not so. But the laws are there. They are the laws or principles that are developed through biblical history, the theology of what's in the Bible from the beginning right through to Revelation at the end. The first of them is this, that God has created the world and it's great. It is good. And God created humankind, male and female, and said it is very good. And God desires to live in a life-giving, life-affirming, rich, joyful relationship with you and me, with all of his creation. That is the purpose of God. That's what's talked about in the Genesis first couple of chapters. God creates And God desires to interact constantly in a very beautiful, creative way with his creation, his creatures, you and me. But the second part of it is that we want to go our own way. We want to deviate. We want to break this relationship with God because we want to be in control and not allow God to have that control. And so because of our sin, we go our own way, and we break the relationship with God, and we are estranged from God. And so we suffer all the consequences that we see going on in our world, in our personal lives, in our families at times, but globally, all of it that's going on today, even though we pray for peace and so on, all of it is due to the fact that people have cut themselves off from God and want to be in control. Then there's a third component of these gospel truths, and that is that God, out of his great love, has decided to come and intervene in our lives and bring about restoration. That was the word through the prophets in the Old Testament and the priests, but supremely in the life and the teaching and the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has acted in a way that gives us forgiveness and salvation and enables us to be restored into relationship with God. God was in Christ, said Paul, reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his own son. And so that is the fourth component of the gospel. 
The fifth one is the invitation for you and me, for everybody, to respond in faith to all that God has done. And when we respond in faith, so it is that we are restored back into this relationship with God that God purposes for us and God desires for us so much that he gave up his own son that we might have this There we go. Oh, I've got a different voice, haven't I? <laughs> Set for a feminine voice, I think, this one. I don't think I speak like that. Anyway. Mel, you don't sound like that at all. <laughs> God desires that we be in this relationship with him. That's his purpose for us. And so that is the gospel. Now, if anybody asks you what the gospel is, hopefully you could say, this is it, one, two, three, four. And you could say how you've responded to it as well, what it's meant for you in your life. Now, we can break that down a little bit further. The three other points. The first is the cross. Through the cross, we have forgiveness of sin and we have salvation. We know that. It is through the shed blood of Christ, his broken body on a cross, that we have forgiveness. And forgiveness is a wonderful gift. In fact, apart from all that God gives us, I think that forgiveness stands out as one of the greatest because I know I need to be forgiven daily. It's a great gift. And we have salvation, salvation in Christ. That's the first part of it. But it's not just the cross, of course. We can talk about what Jesus did for us on the cross, but also what God has done through Christ, through the empty tomb, the, the resurrection. And the resurrection is very powerful for us. The resurrection speaks of new life. It speaks of hope. It speaks of joy. It speaks of peace. It speaks of a, a new future. As the Apostle Paul said, when anyone is in Christ, they are a new being. The old has gone and the new has come. So we are people of the resurrection as well. That's really, really important. But then there's a third component to what's going on in our lives that sometimes we overlook, and that is discipleship or the ongoing transformation that God is wanting to do in us, particularly through the work of the Holy Spirit within us. You know, the, the Spirit brings, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness and so forth. That's the ongoing developing work of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, having that context, we're able to have a look at Romans and in particular chapter 7. But I thought it was helpful for us to see the, the, the kind of gospel and biblical context in which we're able to deal with this. When you get to Romans 7... And it's mentioned also in the study that's being put together for this. If you're not in the group, it would be helpful still to perhaps download the study and just use it personally for your own Christian growth. You'll notice in this, as you look at this that as Paul begins in chapter 7, he's using the second person pronoun as well as the third person pronoun. He's talking about you, plural, then he talks about a woman who, who, when she marries, is bound to her husband by law, but if he dies, she's free to marry another person. She's not being adulterous in any way. So he talks about this, and he goes to talk about a few other things there. But then when he comes to verse 7, he changes the pronoun. Whereas previously he's talking about them, he's talking about you, he's talking about her, in verse 7, 
he shifts to himself and he begins to talk about his life, his journey, what's going on within him. And so it's very transparent and it's very revealing. I wonder whether I would be game enough to write a letter that would be so self-revealing, so honest. But that's what Paul does. In fact, I think Paul here is exercising tremendous leadership because he not only is he speaking to the people about what can take place, he's leading from the front. He's not in any way holding himself up as some great paragon of virtue. He's really saying, here is the reality of who I am. This is me, warts and all, and I'm wrestling with it all, but I'm doing it within the context of the gospel truth. And so he talks a lot about sin in this and its power within him. Now, keep in mind, this is Paul after his conversion, not prior. This is Paul when he's had that marvellous encounter with the living Christ and he's changed, totally changed, from being the Pharisee who condemned and persecuted Christians to now becoming Paul the Apostle who planted churches right across the Asian region of that time. Let me begin from verse 14 where he talks about the law. Now the laws are there of course, aren't they? We have law. In the Jewish tradition it's called the Torah. It's the basis on which the people could live within the covenant community that God had established The Ten Commandments, for example, are part of the law, as well as many of the other laws that are there in the Old Testament for the Jewish people to be able to live under God and to be able to live together. And he agrees that the law is good. The difficulty is he can't always obey it. It's the way with you and me from time to time as well. We know what the laws are, but we don't always obey them. So he says this from verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law, but is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. Wow. Could you identify with that? There are times I don't fully understand me either, and I know my wife doesn't. So anyway, it's a bit mutual at times. So I really don't understand myself, he said, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And then we come up with the tongue twisters. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Got that? Good. And then he goes in with verse 21, which is the essence of, I guess, what we're really speaking about today. He says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. In the Revised Standard Version, it's translated this way. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. So there's this sense that even though we are Christians and we've given our life to Christ 
and we want to follow God's way, there's still evil in the world and we've got to deal with that. The devil's still at large in many ways. Remember when he left Jesus? He left Jesus for a season. And Jesus even had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. There's this wrestling going on. And we wrestle with it as well. We really do. As Christian people, followers of Jesus, those who love the Lord, worship the Lord, we know that we still have to deal with the whole question of evil in our lives and deal with it in a way that's really, really helpful. But then Paul, as he concludes this passage, he says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is a war within my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Wow, to put that in the letter. Have you ever put that in the letter to anybody? To admit that you feel miserable, that you're just a rotter. That's what he's saying. Then he says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Well, the antidote, of course, is Christ. It's our prayer life. It's the way we seek to relate to one another in the the family of God. It's bearing the fruit of the Spirit. It is more and more wanting the way of Christ to live in us. But as I mentioned earlier, the Apostle Paul here is exercising tremendous leadership because not only is he honest about himself, he's enabling people to be honest about themselves. That's great leadership. He's not holding himself up as above them. In fact, he's right at the level of his listeners, his readers, because he knows that what he's experiencing, they're experiencing also. So I think he's actually giving us, you and me, permission to have a good look inside as well, to consider what might be there that's impeding our growth in discipleship. A couple of days ago, I had a haircut, you might have noticed. And uh, I've been going to the same hairdresser for over a year now. It was the first time I saw her on Friday. Because up until then, you know what? She was wearing a mask. I just saw her eyes. Every time I went to the hairdresser, just saw her eyes. But on Friday, for the first time I walked in, I, looked, I, said, I said, that's what you look like. I saw what she was because the mask was removed. Sometimes we wear masks, don't we? Whether they're a physical mask because of COVID, we can put, have a mask and Jesus is saying, remove the mask. The Apostle Paul is saying, remove the mask. I'm removing my mask. You can see me just as I am, warts and all. It's what Paul is saying. And I think he's giving you and me permission to do the same, to deal with what's going on within. Our life is like an iceberg, really. An iceberg has about 10% of its mass above the surface of the water. 10% is visible. But 90% is underneath the water unseen. And our lives are a bit like that. 10% is seen. It's obvious. But there's 90% that's there our history, all that's taken place, the good and the bad, the regrets, the pain, the suffering, the struggles, the 
the hurts that we've experienced and all, it's there. The 90% is there. The thing is, though, that God knows the 90%. And God loves us despite the 90%. And it's not the 90% that's below us that makes us, that's below the surface, that enables us to be in relationship with God. Not at all. What enables us to be in relationship with God is that God loves us despite what's under the surface. And because he, he loves us in his grace, we're able to deal with some of that stuff. Dag Hammarskjöld, former General Secretary of the United Nations, said that humankind has been very adept at exploring outer space. And we know it goes on even today. And all our communications rely upon those satellites that are out there and the trips to the moon and the rest of it. Great at exploring outer, outer space, but inept at exploring inner space. Personal inner space. It's the way it is. Jesus, with his disciples, with them for three years, taught them how to journey within, how to go deep into their heart and their soul. He taught them about character. He taught them about being genuine. He taught them about being authentic people. And the Apostle Paul, I believe, is inviting us in to do the same thing, to do with what might be there for the sake of our souls, for the sake of our lives, for the sake of our loved ones, for the sake of our futures. The difficulty is many people refuse to go there. Even some Christians refuse to go there are still living in the 10% above the surface but not prepared to touch what's down deep. Some avoid it. No matter what they're going through, they avoid it. Despite their life unravelling, totally going south, they won't deal with it. So there's broken marriages and fractured relationships and moral failure and it goes on and on. It's not dealt with and it can affect the generations. Biblical history illustrates that so well. Do you know David, great King David, the man after God's heart, committed adultery out of his lust and tried to cover it up by telling lies, bringing about the death of one of his great warriors, His son Solomon built a wonderful temple but then got caught up in worshipping other gods and so syncretism crept in. They weren't worshipping the true God. His son Rehoboam got caught up in idolatry. Then through the generations there were reprisals, conflicts, incest, rape, sibling rape. Breakdown of communications, breakdown of character. The ten tribes that were once united, divided into two, the northern and the southern kingdom. There was civil war. Eventually the Babylonians came and conquered them and the cream of the people were taken to exile. And where did it begin? I think it began with David, who broke the law and sinned and tried to cover it up. What is there in your life, 
What is there that could be transmitted through the generations that God's yet to deal with for the sake of the future generations? What's there? God gives us permission to deal with it. Some of the subconscious memory, some of the unconscious stuff that's there, to bring it to light, to the light of the gospel and have it redeemed. Because God doesn't want us to stay in the dark, to be in the shadowy existence, but to live in the light. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The trouble is some people don't want to know the truth. But to know the truth, to bring it into the light and have it redeemed and have a new narrative, a new story, the story that is the story of God in your life that transforms, that brings about complete redemption and a wonderful future. That's the life that God brings to us. God is wanting us, I believe, to continue to grow in discipleship, to experience the transforming power of God within us for the sake of our own souls, our own beings, for the sake of our kids, for the next generations, for the sake of community. We can go there. Some of that stuff can be uncovered. We can be honest because God's grace allows it to take place and we step into a totally new day under the grace of God and in his power. Let's be in prayer. Lord God, you are so wonderful. So wonderful in love so wonderful in character, so wonderful in creation, so wonderful in redemption, so wonderful in transformation. We thank you, our God, that we are able to grow in our discipleship, that there is nothing that should impede us from our life in you and the wonderful future that you give to us. Thank you, our God, that you restore. Thank you, our Father, that we had called your children. You also remind us there's a wonderful future to be uncovered, that we in no way should be held back by the past, that we can be honest, as was Paul in his letter to the Romans and We can say to you, our God, and even to say to one another some confident with whom we can share and confess that we are broken, we have sinned, we are aware of evil and its power, but we praise praise you, our God, that it is Christ who rescues us and it is the spirit at work within us that gives us a wonderful new future. We are so grateful for that, our God. Lord, I pray for everybody here or those who are listening in their rooms at home at the moment. Pray, Lord, for any who are feeling a pain that is so great. But, Lord, may it be a pain that prompts them to move into a new dimension of life that you offer to them to let go. 
pray for those who, whose memories currently are more negative than positive and ask our God that you would help them to have a new narrative, to begin to tell a new story of who they are because their story is linked to yours, the true history, your story, our God. Pray for those, our God, who feel as if they've done something for which they carry regret and remorse. May they right now know your forgiveness and your restoring power. Help them to let go and to step into the freedom that you offer. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would touch everyone afresh. Thank you, Lord, for what you do. Thank you for the wonderful gospel truth. Thank you that we live within the family of God as you've created it to be, to enjoy your company, to rejoice in you, to serve you faithfully with our whole beings. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.